Hey, this is Andy Jenkins, and welcome to episode number 11 of the Warrior Hope Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you to one of our friends, one of the friends of Crosswinds. Uh, his name is Lieutenant Colonel Don Mallon. Now, now we, we just call him Don, Don Mallon. He's been a chaplain in two tours of duty in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He retired back in 2013. He was the chief of chaplains of the Mississippi National Guard at that time. And now, during civilian life, Don continues his service, really assisting veterans through the Vet Center in Jackson. Now, Don has a unique relationship with Crosswinds on multiple levels. For the purposes of the talk today, Don is the man that turned Bob, he's the founder of Crosswinds, he turned Bob on to the very idea of post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, Bob had launched Front Porch Media as a means really to use his faith background to discuss cultural trends. He, he called it Front Porch Media uh, because the idea was, you might remember back in the day, or if, if you live in a downtown area, or even in some of the new suburban neighborhoods that they're creating, front porches are important. They're the places where at the end of the day, people would just sit they would drink lemonade, they would drink tea, they would watch neighbors walk by, they would uh, talk back and forth across the yards. It was a place for the exchange of ideas, and that's really what Bob envisioned with Front Porch Media. So he's talking to his friend Don, hey, what, what's something in culture that you see needs to be addressed? Don answered pretty quickly, PTSD. Now, up to that point, Bob really, in his own words, hadn't heard much about PTSD. So he asked, he just, what do you mean? What, what is it? I, I, I don't know anything about that. Don then had what Bob says is, or struck him at the time. Now we see it's more normal, but he saw it at the time as a strange answer. Don said, well, PTSD, it's like this. When I got back from deployment, it took me a few years to realize that I was in a thunderstorm and not under mortar fire. So yeah, in Bob's words, and it's a story that he tells quite often. In fact, he talked about it in episode one of this podcast series. He said that that sounded strange because I had no experience that I could compare it to. But when we began to study PTSD and learn that post-traumatic stress, even if not diagnosed, the very feeling of post-traumatic stress, it's really quite common. It's something that's been happening for centuries, and it's something from which we need to remove the stigma. So that became the first feature film. That was the first documentary project. In fact, there's a link in the show notes where you can get the uh, streaming uh, of Invisible Scars absolutely free. So that, that film about PTSD, it was released. Uh, and in that, Don and other warriors and professionals, they all discussed the emotional and mental wounds, the invisible scars that war often creates. So in this episode, we're gonna talk about that. And we're gonna do so uniquely from Don's background as a chaplain. We're gonna talk about what led him to enlist and why he did that. And, and then we're gonna talk about uniquely the things that chaplains deal with daily as trusted counselors, spiritual advisors, friends in the theater of combat that really get an up-close personal look as soldiers at things with which other soldiers deal. Now, 
Soldiers often speak about camaraderie, brotherhood, and the warriors standing beside you. But there's also much isolation. Uh, many warriors leave family and friends and full lives behind in order to answer the call and serve. And Don's going to give you a unique perspective. Listen in. This is our friend, Don Mallon. Here's what I want you guys to know about Chaplain Don Mallon, and I'm going to get him to tell the story, is he was incredibly instrumental in the first film that Crosswinds produced. Uh, when Bob had the idea of Front Porch Media and actually producing films that would interact with culture out there in the public space and really speak in a timely manner, how does faith address something that is current, that is needed, that really the perspective of faith needs to address, he actually reached out to Don here and Don is Don. Will you just pick up the story because I think you would tell it best. And you've known Bob for years, right? Bob and I worked uh, worked together in Watchman Fellowship. I was the Watchman Fellowship director here in Mississippi, but I uh, but I was also in the Guard. And the Guard at one point sent me to Iraq. Okay, and uh, we were mortared all the time and mortar fire sounds just like thunder and so after a year of being in Iraq and hearing all this mortar fire ended up uh, coming back to Mississippi in my first couple thunderstorms I thought I was back in Iraq again it was a strange it was a strange experience even now not with the thunder uh, uh, a lot of the people or a lot of the Iraqis when we were over there used old old uh, Toyota pickups Okay. And they have certain decorations on them. And so, I mean, it was only recently I'm driving down the road and see this strange looking Toyota pickup behind me, this old one all of a sudden uh, had that uh, uh, had that same experience. I've been there before. You know? Had that same sound, that same hum, that same. Mm -hmm. So so Bob tells the story. He said he asked you something like, what was it like coming back? And he, he says that that seemed like the strangest answer but, and, and he's not saying, I mean, you know, Bob, so he's not saying it uh, with any kind of ill will or any kind of jest or joke. He's saying it like it, it just put him in a whole different mindset that when he'd ask you what it was like being back over here, you know, you responded that way, that it took you a while to realize that when it's thundering outside, it's just rain, mm -hmm. not mortar fire. Uh, take us into that a little bit like uh, what goes on in your head when that's happening like where what what does that do because I, I know a lot of people that are listening can relate most cannot well i mean it's just the really it's just the well when you're being mortared and you know what it is you have that, uh, you know, you have a little bit of fear, well, depending on how good of shots they are. I mean, they were lousy over there. We were very thankful for that. But still, we heard the mortar fire. We heard the, we heard the sound of thunder. And when it's a clear blue sky and uh, you hear thunder, uh, you, you know, we knew, we knew that we were being mortared. So it was a mixture. I mean, it was kind of a surprise, but also, uh, the the thunder mortar fire coming back here then and hearing the same thing brought back both the mixture of you know the the fear and uh, and 
uh, thinking again that we're back at that we're back in Iraq or that I was back. It totally takes you back. It how does. did you how how did you end up in the military? What was the entry? Being in the military, I I joined the army in 1972. Twelve oh, this days goes back. Twelve days after I graduated from high school, I was on my way to Fort Dix, New Jersey. Uh, from Fort Dix, Fort Gordon, Georgia, and they sent me to New Mexico. I was stationed at White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico, and I became a Christian in New Mexico, and that's where I got uh, got a developed a relationship with the chaplain there, and from there, that's I saw myself wanting to become a chaplain. Okay, so did you did you enlist as a uh, reserve, or were you enlisting? What what was the intent? I was well. I I went in with a couple friends. We didn't know what we were going to do after we graduated from high school. We had we didn't have our. Um, some people had college and everything else mapped out. They knew what they were yeah. going to do. We I didn't. They, you know, the other two guys may have, but we, we came in on the delayed entry program. We joined in like March, graduated uh, in uh, June of 72, and uh, we were on our way to Fort Dix, New Jersey at the, uh, at the end of June. So that's a quick, that's a quick change up right there. It, it is, it is. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I did it. There were a couple of aha moments, though, in basic training when you just wonder what in the world, why you made that choice to join the military uh, with all the PT and the shouting. and the, and. But uh, looking back on it, it was good. God used it to get me down to uh, get me to hear the gospel in, in uh, New Mexico. So you eventually ended up in the Middle East. Um, was that your first deployment when you, overseas? That was my, okay, now I was enlisted at White Sands. Uh, I got out in 76 and then uh, joined, well, came to Birmingham, uh, went to Birmingham Theological Seminary for a while and joined the uh, enlist, was commissioned as a second lieutenant. I wanted to be a chaplain. It wasn't until I came to Mississippi that I actually got in the guard and uh, became a chaplain and that's when I was deployed. Okay. And, uh, so it's a long road uh, from my enlistment to where uh, to where I was in Birmingham then Jackson and uh, uh, in the guard here. Yeah not necessarily a straight line or I mean you can look back in the rearview mirror and go oh yeah it kind of makes sense how I ended up here. Uh, tell me, as far as being a chaplain, what is the role of the chaplain in the military? In the military, the chaplain's role, uh, first, he's to represent his or her uh, denomination. Uh, you, you have to be endorsed by your denomination. You have to meet the standards of the military as well as your denomination. Uh, the chaplain in the military is, you know, he holds services for the men and women in the military. He does counseling. He goes with them. The, the idea of the chaplain is that the chaplain will be as far up front as possible uh, to go with the men and women wherever, wherever they're going. So this would be uh, as close in the front line as possible? 
as close as as close as you can be. Now, I was with when I went to Iraq. I was with an engineer unit, so uh, you know we weren't fighters per se, but we were people that uh, they send people out to do some construction, uh, build up various bases and everything throughout the area. So, would you find a chaplain say in the trenches or out on the front lines? Would that be common, or would that be? They would be. Again, in an infantry unit, they would be up there, uh, not necessarily all the time, but they would try to be close by in case something happens, happened to some of their people. Uh, I was, I worked with a number of chaplains in Iraq. Uh, there's a shared ministry with the chaplains from other units. Uh, the, we ended up sharing preaching responsibilities or Bible study or counseling or whatever whatever was needed as well as you had your own work with your own unit. So you shared responsibility with other chaplains for a bigger area, but then yeah. you also had to go out and do the work in your own unit and so, help the and help so, men and women there. So without uh you know disclosing something that would be private per se, or that you, you couldn't say, um, that would breach a confidence or something. What, what, what is like a typical thing that a soldier might need you for besides, you know, preaching or what, what we take a, think of as normal, like church type activities. Like what, what are, what are things they would approach you for that you would go to them for? Well, they would come to me, uh, had a lot of marriage counseling. That was a big issue in the military. Uh, people would, uh, they had trouble. There was a big distance, uh, mile-wise and yeah. time-wise between husband and wife. And as a result, uh, the men uh, often had trouble uh, because they, they weren't sure what their spouses were doing. They weren't sure what their wives were doing. Uh, had one guy in Iraq, uh, he was instant, no, he was emailing his wife and he was having a real hard time uh, because she wasn't emailing him back after a while. And so when you're far away and you're, you're, you're far away from uh, family, your mind starts playing tricks on you, not knowing you're not there, you don't know what's going on, so your mind goes to the worst. Right. And so we had to go, uh, at that time I was acting brigade chaplain and I had access to a satellite phone. And so we went and used a satellite phone. He called his wife up and everything, everything was great. I mean, he had the biggest smile on his face after that. But I mean, he was really going down as far as his attitude and you know didn't know what his wife was doing or why she wasn't responding to him and but uh, but once he talked to her things were great he was I mean even for a year or two after that he would still email me and thank me for that so something like that or uh, in Afghanistan had another guy he and his wife were both in the military they had kids uh, his wife was home with the kids but he was, but he was gonna. Uh, he had his time there in Afghanistan. He was going back home, but she was now going to be deployed. And so okay. you see, there's a oh, lot wow. of separate, a lot of separation in the in the military. And yeah, so well, they want to talk. 
Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you there. No, I'm just saying that, that you know, that they want to talk to somebody and oftentimes uh, it's the pastor or the chaplain that they want to come and talk to. I would not have thought about that. Like, I would have thought, you know, with the military, like that's, that's surprising, but it makes all the sense in the world. I, I would have thought that the bigger issues would have been like life or death issues because, you know, military, you, like you said, there's mortar fire up around mm -hmm. you constantly. And thankfully those, the guys you were facing were, not very good shots, at least there, I would have been, I would, I, that like, that's a surprising thing that a lot of the issues are relational. Like it's mm -hmm. family and it's spouses and it's the disconnection from being, you know, time and distance and so far away. Um, we've talked about, you know, moral injury on this podcast. We've talked about PTSD. We've talked about that in length with the warrior hope curriculum. Um, you were there, weeks ago when we did the leadership training. Um, talk to me about moral injury or PTSD, either one, just from the perspective of what you've seen as a chaplain, whether it was of yourself or even other people. Like, are there specific stories that stand out where you've seen this um, that would people would understand? Well, uh, well, a couple of things. One is uh, when you're over there, uh, uh, on the film on uh, PTSD, there was a chaplain, uh, Chaplain Kuda, and he was talking about how how when you're over there, everyone is going through the same thing. So no one notices anything different. Because when we were over there, it was hot, uh, it was dirty. Uh, a lot of people uh, didn't get a whole lot of sleep, and that was kind of every everyone was going through that and so didn't notice anything different you come home you start to see some differences simply because now you're in an environment that's a lot different than your you know than your combat environment right uh, so so you can see more when you get home because the contrast is a lot uh, clearer and you know we would see that with more of the people. We came back and had a number of uh, wives call uh, about their husbands and that uh, as a result of their time over there, they wanted to know if I could talk to them or uh, just advice on how to help them out or how to help them understand their husband. So uh, chaplain duty doesn't end with deployment ending then is no, what, no, when you're a chaplain, when you're a chaplain of a guard unit, uh, oftentimes a lot of things do carry over into the normal one weekend a month, two weeks in the summer time frame. Okay. Uh, especially, especially if you were together with a unit and you came back uh, with that same unit, you develop that relationship with people and, you know, they do continue to talk to you. They do continue to, uh, you, you know, to seek your advice. Yeah, because really, you're you're pastoring these people, and and I think mm -hmm. your affiliation is the Presbyterian Church of America. Is that correct? Correct. PCA. So, um, so really, you're you you're a PCA pastor up there, front lines with the military is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, and so that's what people are getting when they're coming to you is they're 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 getting pastoral care. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess that doesn't just turn off. So that's, that's been very helpful to understand really what the military chaplains do. 
Um, now talk to me about you, you're, you have a ministry now. Um, let's talk about that and talk about the organization that you lead and how that began. Yeah, well, that was something as that was something that started, uh, uh, as a result of Bob and I talking, uh, cross swords is that's what you're you're talking about cross swords and, and the idea what, uh, what I really would like to see is connecting the veteran with the providers out there. And I think on the cross swords website has a, you know, has a lot of different, uh, uh, links and everything for the veteran that they can go to and uh, you know for the VA uh, and other sources out there it's important to help point the veteran in the right direction simply because oftentimes in the garden reserve when you come home you're no longer connected with the guard directly and and you need help of uh, people pointing you in the right direction. And that's what I'm, that's what I've been trying to do is point them in the right direction. Uh, I've been working with the VA or I've been, I've been in the VA for about 15 years, but recently retired and it was with a vet center. Vet center, we do readjustment counseling for combat vets. And my role was outreach. And so that, so that was trying to connect the veteran with the vet center. Uh, so that's a lot of what I am doing. Now, right now, also, since I retired from the VA, a lot of what I'm doing now, I'm teaching part-time at Bellhaven in the uh, Old Testament and uh, uh, Paul, and, Paul and Acts and Kingdom Life. And I'm also preaching throughout the area, um, a number of different churches. So. I'm keeping busy that way. I still come in contact every so often with people in, you know, in the guard unit that I was a part of, uh, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's at the VA hospital, whether it's just at Walmart or something like that, you know, still come in contact with people. Still, but again, still, yeah. my, still doing my the, desire uh, is really, go ahead. Still doing the soldier thing on one hand. Uh, with all mm-hmm. these connections and also doing the, the pastoral, the pastoral uh, element, that, that call that you have. Right. Uh, so, so still w- walking out both of those um, with crosswords. I'm going to put a link in the show notes where people can go to that site. Um, we I've been on that site before. I know that we had a, an extensive list of books uh, and resources that we've gotten from you that we even put in the back of the warrior hope curriculum. Uh, most of the books that we refer people to are resources that you've vetted. And so, you know, we, we lean a lot on, on your expertise and your wisdom um, for all back there, all on that shelf. <laughs> <laughs> people, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll have to get a screenshot of that and show people that, that shelf right there. Um, I've, I've read through a lot of those books, not as many as, as you have. Um, if, if you were speaking right now to uh, a this is the group of people I bump into a lot. It tends to be uh, women that are in their 30s to 40s that have a husband that's deployed or he's off in some scope of training. What what advice would you give to those people that are not in the military that are walking with someone who is in the military? What what advice would I give them? I, I would give 
and they're and they're deployed right now. Their spouses are deployed, or they're or they're in training. I, it, it seems like you know I'll when I when I do a live video related to crosswinds and the work that we're doing there, or a, a post uh, on Instagram or Facebook. Hey, we're going into this training session, and we get the opportunity to train these leaders. It seems that people that message back uh, tend to be people who say my spouse needs this. What, they're, mm -hmm. they're deployed. They're off at training. What, what, what advice do you give to those people? I know that sounds kind of an off the wall question. I'm just asking you cause that's the question I get. <laughs> so, well, in the, you know, in the guard, uh, they have, uh, they have family readiness groups and they have okay. people, uh, that will, they can help the spouses as their husbands are, are now they're there more for spouses that are deployed, but, yeah. Um, more so though, they're there and you can, you can contact people for, uh, information, uh, financial information and, uh, learning more about the military and just developing the relationships. So, there so are I think that the, sp the spouses, it would be good for them if it's in within a guard or reserve context would probably be good for them to connect with say, uh, you know, some women who are, uh, who have been around a lot longer in the military for the sake of uh, them being able to answer any questions and point them in the right direction. That makes, that, that makes sense. More. I, I mean, that's an easy one. That's an easy answer right there. I, I had no idea that those mm -hmm. resources. And really, really, uh, you know, if, if you can connect them with someone who's already been around for a while within the military or a spouse of one in the military, they can point you in that right direction. If you have a question that they can't answer or connect you with someone, uh, they do have, again, family readiness groups for, uh, for guard units. I'm not sure. They do have stuff like that for reserve, for reserve units. Reserve units are more around the country. You can have an army reserve unit and you're going to have people from a number of states coming together. Whereas in the guard, you just have people from the state or from that local area kind of the local. Uh, coming together. So it's a little easier within the guard to do that than it would be in the reserves. That makes sense. Uh, tell me, tell me a story about somebody or some instance where uh, you had to pray for someone that was deployed, that was went out to battle, went out to the give us give me a story of something that's that's that you remember from being deployed that you remember from uh, where where somebody sought help or counsel uh, related to war, maybe not necessarily related to past stuff on the family, but something that was that they were facing. Well, I mean, it, the one the one story uh, that I'm that Bob got me to talk about in the group. Uh, that's the one that stands out the most. Is the one is the uh, we were having a Bible study at, at chapel on a on a Wednesday evening, and this young lieutenant comes in and he starts the. I mean, he's real fidgety. I mean, he comes in, he sits down, gets up, walks around. Uh, he came back after the Bible study and we had, and, and he set up an appointment when they're coming to talk to me the next day. He was there before I was the next day. And, uh, he was in a, um, 
uh, he was in a Humvee that was hit. And uh, uh, he said that he was, you know, when his Humvee was hit, it was, uh, he couldn't get out quick enough. Uh, he heard some people screaming, the smoke filling, uh, smoke in his eyes as a result of that. And he thought back to his wife and kids. And that really shook him. And so part of what they did to help the troops, they would keep him close by, but they would keep him on base and everything, give him a couple of days off to try to, to try to, you know, uh, deal with this. And so he was dealing with it and he wanted to talk to me as a chaplain and, you know, give him some verses and pray with him, pray for him. And I did. And he also had other friends he was talking to. Uh, after about a week, uh, a week or two, he came up to me and said he's going on his first mission, and it's uh, since since that event, and it's a real dangerous mission, and uh, wanted me to pray. So we prayed and uh, sent him off. I, I told him I would see him later, you know, and uh, not realizing that this that they were going out in this dangerous area that and uh they came under attack again and uh one of his one of the, one of his men got out and uh he he this young lieutenant saw that there was an iraqi you know an afghan and yeah uh an afghani that was going to go and fire uh, fire an rpg and he got up and he pushed the young guy out of the way and he got hit Oh wow! So, so he died as a result of that, unfortunately. And uh, you know, all these guys came back with shrapnel uh, in them, and uh, I, I went to talk to them, or at least to visit with them as much as I could. It's it's interesting how, as a chaplain, you still get tongue tied when you see that. You don't know, uh, you know, you really don't know what to say except. The, because you see them with the shrapnel and everything, and right out of my mouth came, well, how are you doing? I said, oh, brother. said, so, you know, how is he doing? You know, you can see the shrapnel and everything. Yeah. He just kind of, he just kind of smiled and everything when I said that, but anyhow, it was these guys and started to realize the more and more that we talked that their lieutenant uh, was the guy that I talked to. And he was, and you know, they were talking about him in terms of, you know, that he was gone, that he that he died, and you know, that was confirmed. There was a, there was a, uh, a not a, it wasn't a coffin, but he was in a body bag and everything with a flag draped over it and everything. So that was, that was hard. I mean, for him and his family, uh, most assuredly for his unit. But then also that was probably one of the harder times for me being over there in uh, in Afghanistan. And so uh, you're you're part of the you know you're part of the team over there. You're uh, you're on the same side and and right. and it's hard. Even though I didn't know him well, just a little bit that we talked and everything that he wanted to come to me, wanted to wanted uh, prayer and everything. You know that was a that was an encouragement to me, but uh, but then to see that he uh, that he gave his life. 
Well, this is, uh, you know, it's your, it's your church, uh, your parish, whichever term you want to use for lack of a better term, um, you know, you know, in a real sense. And yeah, you're walking with a high degree of pastoral care with people that are walking under a high level of stress and real life or death issues. And when you're visiting people in the hospital, you're not visiting people in the hospital who are sick because, you know, generally an upset stomach or that could be serious or other issues that could be serious. I mean, these are wounds of war. These are um, physical things that are inflicted because of enemy combatants. This isn't just normal hospital care. Uh, mm-hmm. These aren't people that it's, it's difficult when people die of old age, but this isn't people who are dying of old died age because it was old age. You know, these are young guys that are in the fit prime of their life, young women in the fit prime of their life and something catastrophic has happened. And so um, that's, that's been a whole different perspective on it. I don't, I don't know how you would walk with that. And I imagine there are times, like you said, when you walk up and you say something stupid and you're like, Oh, that, but, but then there's such a high degree of trust because you've been walking with them and praying with them and mm-hmm. crying with them and, uh, getting satellite phones for them, you know, when they're just in distress because the email's not connecting and working. Um, what, 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 what led you into crosswords from all of that? Like uh, maybe just as we round out here, describe kind of coming back and, and getting out of military, you know, and even though I know once a soldier, always a soldier, but, you know, formally getting out and then, it seems like you were always in ministry. And so it was a logical next step uh, to just change the outlet, change the platform. Um, but maybe just describe coming home. Well, coming home, well, I came home twice. I'm, I'm going to say from my, uh, from my rack. Uh, still in the guard after that. I mean, you know, coming home, you're still in the guard. You, you still go to training and everything. Uh, one weekend a month, two weeks in the summer. But I was also at that point prior to Iraq, I was with Watchman Fellowship and okay. kind of thinking that I was going to be again with Watchman Fellowship. But, but you know, the motivation and everything just wasn't there after coming back from Iraq. Um, it was the, it was then that I, well, I was looking, was looking for, different kind of work and ended up uh, teaching a little bit in a, in a Christian high, uh, Christian school. Also uh, was full time for a little while with the guard uh, as a chaplain, this uh, only for a couple months, but uh, I, again, I'm, I was looking, you know, where to settle with all this and, uh, then Katrina hit, and our guard unit was mobilized, and we went down. Uh, we went down to the coast for six weeks, working with the with the destruction down there. But then I met a guy who was who was a uh, head chaplain at the VA here in Jackson. And he suggested that I get into the clinical pastoral education or CPE program at the hospital. So I, so I got into that for a year, CPE, going through dealing with veterans, uh, 
learning pat better pastoral care, learning how to learning how to see yourself and see your problems as well, and try to keep them from uh, affecting you as you help others. Yeah. And so went through that, and uh, they didn't have an opening at the hospital for a chaplain, but they had an opening for the vet center. And so the vet center, uh, uh, I got that job, loved it. It was traveling all over the state of Mississippi. Uh, but then I was still being in the guard. They, mobil they mobilized us again for Afghanistan. And from Afghanistan, uh, one about nine months uh, being in Afghanistan, came back and was became the state chaplain for about a year and a half. So all of this, I'm still, uh, I'm still uh, a chaplain until 2013, officially a chaplain until 2013. October of 2013 is when I turned 60. And so they kick you out. They tell <laughs> they you, you're done. They tell you you're too old, unless you have a special skill that is so needed and everything. Uh, and my and they had a bunch of chaplains under me that needed to get the position I was in so they could get promoted. So they said bye. And so, you know, they gave me a good retirement party and everything that was a retirement ceremony. And that was good. And uh, just started working for the VA. Uh, and that's when we started thinking a lot more about helping veterans connect with the resources out there is going to go along, you know, is all ministry. Uh, even yeah. if it's not, even if it's not me directly talking to them and counseling with them, helping them find the right person in the VA to connect to that will take them and get them, help them with their claim, help them with their, uh, their health care, get them enrolled in the VA, you know, I mean, there's people that don't like the VA, but a lot of it is you just didn't find the right person that uh, that would take the time to help you. And right. If you, and if you find that right person, then that then that's going to change you know, how you view how you view the VA. So my goal is to help people find that right person in the VA to take them through the health care or the claims or, uh, you know, give them information about the cemeteries, things like that, that all veterans at some point are going to need. So if people need that help, uh, where, 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 where should we send them? Like if they're, if they're listening and they're going, Oh, I need that. Or somebody in my family needs that. I've got a friend that needs that. I've got somebody that I've heard complaining about the VA and now I'm realizing, Oh, I get it. Cause it's like looking for a needle in the haystack. And if you could just mm -hmm. find somebody that said, Hey, here's the needle, you know, who, or where, where, where should they go? Well, well, first, you know, all states have veteran service officers. They may not all be, uh, all have, you know, a lot of the veteran service officers are elderly and they have a hard, uh, they're not necessarily real motivated, but they can, but they do have some information that can point them uh, to the right person at the VA. Uh, we run into a lot of the, uh, a lot of good veteran service officers here and then some that are just kind of there just for the just just for the job um some are just worn out you know they've served their country in the military and now they're trying to do it this way too and it's just hard on them 
Yeah. But uh, veteran service officer, you can go to, uh, you know, local VFW. They have people that are knowledgeable about the, uh, knowledgeable about the, the VA uh, or the DAV. You have people in the DAV that are knowledgeable about the VA. Uh, go to the vet center. That would be wherever, wherever you are, there, there's 300 vet centers around the country. And you have, you have one in Birmingham and a good, and a good thing to do is, is to connect with them. And, and if you have a veteran that has a problem and especially it's a combat veteran, connect that combat veteran with the vet center if possible. It's some, and they can take you, they can take that vet and take them to the VA or whatever other air, you know, thing that they need uh, and help them in that area. And just walk them on through it. That makes sense. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list all this down there in the show notes. Um, this has been, you know, super helpful because you, you've shed a lot of light on some of the resources that are available and to help people navigate through. I've had people on the podcast from the DAV, so I'll just link back to that to where they can listen to those stories to and from some of these other organizations. Um, so that's going to start putting a lot of the pieces together for people. So that's been helpful. Um, thank you for all the resources you've shared with us. Like we, we lean a lot on your reading and your library to kind of help us know where to go to find that needle in the haystack because there's so many resources out there. You've kind of helped us, you know, whittle those down. And, you know, and I, I appreciate you sharing with me the, uh, the, the unique role that, that chaplains have uh, as, because I understand that more now ha- having seen that, that, you know, these people aren't just men and women that sit aside in an office somewhere or a tent off to the side. You, you know, you're you're actually out there walking, uh, shepherding people through some really difficult things on on multiple levels. That are they're managing deployment out there. They're managing family, kind of back here. There's so many there's so many layers to it that. Um, I appreciate you sharing that uh, wisdom here with us and helping us uh, being able to shed light on what really goes on and what 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 it requires. So thank you for that. You're welcome.